I received a question from a church member, and it is a hard one. It's one of the hardest questions in the Bible. It has to do with the text in the book of Hebrews. And the specific verse they're asking about is Hebrews 10, 26. So I'll read the verse, but there's a broader issue here in the book of Hebrews. He says, For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. For sins. And so this is part of a broader set of five warning texts in the book of Hebrews. There are five texts in the book of Hebrews where the writer uh, makes an appeal to Old Testament theology and an Old Testament situation where God's judgment came on the people. And the writer of the Hebrews says, well, if God judged them, how much more so will he judge us? And this has created a lot of question about this because in some of the texts like Hebrews chapter 6 and this Hebrews chapter 10, there's a question, is this someone who's losing their salvation? They've either sinned so badly or they've committed apostasy so that they've lost their salvation or is something else going on here? And so the, the basics of interpretation of this text, I think I found this from F.F. F. Bruce's commentary on the book of uh, Hebrews and also from my class at Dallas the Theological Seminary on the book of Hebrews back in 1992, where Dr. Zuck is teaching this text. And one of the things I've concluded that from their good insights and then reading back through it, looking through that lens, is that all five of these texts are driving at the same idea. They're not five radically different ideas, it's the same five. And so because of that, how we interpret one really has an influence on the rest. We can't interpret 1026 differently than Hebrews 6, differently than Hebrews 2, where these other 2, 4, 6, 10, and 12, I think, are the five. And you can't use those and say, well, I'm going to interpret 1026 this way, but Hebrews 6, I'm going to interpret this way. And so that's uh, that's why I think there's a uh, an overarching interpretive uh, approach to the book of Hebrews when it comes to the five warning passages. Now, what's also built into this is the book of Hebrews has an underlying theological theme that it's trying to address. And that theme is this. You have Jewish converts to Christianity who have started to face persecution, and because of the persecution, they have reverted back to Judaism because Judaism is legal in the Roman Empire, Christianity is not. So they still want to be followers of Christ, but they want to do it without the persecution. And from their perspective, it's like, well, Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, so we're still following Jesus if we go back to the synagogue and if we go back to the temple, temple sacrifices. And the writer of Hebrews sees through it that this is really a cover for the fact that they don't like the persecution that's come about. And who can blame them? I mean, I, I think we would all say, well, I'd prefer not go to prison too, you know, those kinds of things. But in the process, the writer of Hebrews is suggesting to them that this approach is a very serious thing. It is very similar to the kinds of rebellions that we saw historically in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And he doesn't want them imitating that kind of behavior. Now, that doesn't completely clear us from the complexity of these texts, but it does give us some context. We have Jewish converts to Christianity who revert back to Judaism. And the examples that the writer of Hebrews give are Jewish people who are following after God and Moses and the law, of, uh, you know, all these kinds of things. But at times, because pressure comes on them or difficulties come upon them or they get tempted, they fall away and revert back to their life prior to the Exodus. And using those examples, the writer is appealing to them because these are Jewish individuals. They know these stories. These are stories that directly relate to their life. And so you can understand why using those stories would immediately connect with them. And so while using those events, the writer here uses some very weighty language. But every time he the, the writer does, 
there's follow-up language in the same text that implies he, he doesn't really view them in the exact same way. He just doesn't want them imitating that. Let me give you an example. So 1026 says, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries, which is a quote from the Old Testament. Anyone who has ignored the law of Moses put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe the judgment do you think he who deserves to be, who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed? That's really, really heavy language. And he says in verse 31, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, again, he's making an appeal to Old Testament, saying this is what was going on in those events. Don't imitate these individuals. Notice what he says in verse 32. He says, But you remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through insults and distress, and partly by becoming companions with those so treated. For you showed sympathy to prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you yourselves have a better and lasting possession. Therefore, and here, here's the key, do not throw away your confidence. See, he doesn't say, don't throw away your salvation. He doesn't say, uh, don't, don't throw away your forgiveness. He says, don't throw away your confidence. His point from this is, there's this confidence in this great reward that's coming. And they were earning this reward. By the way, they were treating those who had been arrested by being identified with them. But then persecution got so hot at some point, they started to step back. And he goes, look, we've seen this historically. When the people of Israel stepped back and rebelled and God brought judgment, he's like, we don't want to be in that realm. We don't want to be named with individuals like that. And he goes, you're believers in Christ Jesus. Stay the course. Don't throw away your confidence. And what he's talking about here is the confidence, I believe, that's a relational confidence, a walk with God where they know who they are, even though there's trials. They know who they are and their relationship with God, even though there's persecution. And so for me, the writer here is appeal. It sounds really weighty, but to the Jewish mind, those events, those stories that he appeals to would have a lot of weight on them. These were times when Jewish people made terrible decisions. It should also be noted, though, that even in some of those rebellions, People repented and God restored them. So not everyone that fell, that was in Israel, that fell under some of these condemnations in Hebrews, the five warning passages, all went to hell. They, they did face judgment, and some of them actually did face eternal judgment, I'm sure, but not all of them. It was more the community suffered greatly, and it, it brought them back to repentance, or some were judged eternally. But the, the reality was the effect was God drawing them back to himself. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to make an appeal on that basis to say, look, you're believers in Christ Jesus. Don't imitate what we saw back in Israel's history. They fell away from the promises of God and said, stay the course. He says, if you do, he says, don't throw away your confidence for for." In doing so, he says, there is great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. See, I think that's the whole key. For the nation of Israel, all of the examples in the five warning passages are moments where the nation of Israel, what's at risk is entrance into the promised land and into the rest of God. And by not obeying God, some of them were still believers, still went to heaven, but they never got to enter into the promised land rest. Some of them rebelled and then repented. God forgave them, but they never got the promise of entering the Holy Land, including Moses himself. And so I think that's the appeal is what are they giving up? What are they losing by not staying obedient 
uh, to God. And I think it's like Israel. What did they give up? What did they give up in their rebellion? They gave up being able to see the uh, promised land. Now, what happens is God takes them out in the wilderness. He preserves them for 40 years. That whole generation dies off eventually. A new generation comes up. That generation takes the promised land. Does that mean everyone who wandered in the wilderness went to hell? I don't think so. I think there was rebellions and repentance, and many of them restored in that regard. So I would put this in the same category. He's writing to believers. He doesn't want them to throw away their confidence. He doesn't want them to be in a spot where the judgment of God comes or difficulties come and their confidence is shaken because they haven't been faithful to the Lord. And the examples of the Old Testament are just appeals to them about the seriousness of those kinds of decisions. And he wants them to stay the course. So I think it's written to believers. I think what's being lost is confidence and reward, not eternal salvation. Uh, and I think the examples from the Old Testament are extreme examples to shake them out of their malaise of treating this as kind of casual or laissez-faire or uneventful type, oh, let's just go back to the synagogue. And the writer is saying, no, 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 that's what the nation of Israel did in the Old Testament. Well, we'll just do this. We'll just go back to Egypt or we'll just do this. And it resulted in great judgment from God. And the writer of Hebrews is basically saying, don't imitate that kind of behavior.